You know, you, I always pray for churches when, when I am getting ready to come and share. And, you know, it's, it's been a very interesting journey. I, I have a verse and a thought. The verse is, not that we're adequate in and of ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy comes from God. I am not here to pressure you to be something you're not, to be something you can never be. I'm here to escort you as weak, inadequate, northwest men and women, boys and girls, once again into the presence of a risen Lord who is supremely capable, omnicompetent, able to use anyone he wants, any way he wants, and he cannot just do it for someone else. He can do it in and through you. He really can. And how can I say that? Because the Bible says our adequacy comes from God who makes us adequate as servants of a new covenant. 2 Corinthians 3, 5, and 6, I think, if you're looking for the location. The, the next thing the Lord gave me was... There's this amazing compassion. I think there's no other word. He is having compassion on you. He did not send me to condemn you, to compare you, to pressure you, to judge you. He sent me to encourage you, to bless you, to bring some fresh hope. Thank God, you don't have to be a super salesperson. You don't have to be an extrovert. You don't have to be anything but his. And I could go home, and that would be plenty of good message to rest in our hearts and fill us full. Amen? So I want you, I want you to feel the gentleness, the kindness, the compassion, the grace of Jesus. I want you to sense and experience that. And, and Jesus says... A stranger they simply will not follow. So I'm going to share a little, just a tiny bit of who I am. I'm feeling kind of like that interesting could feedback at any moment kind of rumble. Is it me or is it? Okay. So, oh, that's better. Thank you. I always feel like the, the earthquake's about to happen here. Something interesting. Okay. Where was I? I was, I was going to say something good. Uh, okay. Regroup. Restart. Okay. So, oh, Introducing me, I, uh, I was born in Boston, Massachusetts, to uh, a father who worked in the computer industry even from the 1950s, and who moved us around, and we ended up in Silicon Valley. Uh, my parents were married for 62 years before my father passed away here a couple years ago. Uh, it's just me and my sister, and I grew up in a nice Presbyterian home that taught that you didn't need to be born again, that the Bible was full of myths and legends, and it's about being good people. Needless to say, that message did not help me when my life fell apart at age 12, when I was kidnapped and molested by a predatory pedophile. All of a sudden, the nice American answers, the answers of affluence and Liberal Christianity weren't enough. So I turned to 
the things that you turned to in the Bay Area in the 1970s? You get my drift? Okay. All right. Welcome to Oregon and Washington, right? Uh, okay, yeah. Yeah, been there, done that. And, and after four years of walking in darkness and drugs and the occult and, and evil and giving myself to hedonism, and it was empty, 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 empty. The harder I tried to hold on to control and using the occult and other things to prop myself up, the more I lost control and my life fell apart. And finally, I, I, I don't know why I did this, but I actually opened that Bible they gave me in fourth grade Sunday school that I never opened. I don't know why I did it. I was looking through books and opened the Bible, fell open to Sermon on the Mount, started to read. I was expecting to close it and put it back. I started reading the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, and it struck me, every word this man speaks is truth. I finally let Jesus do his own speaking. And if you've grown up in church and you're a young adult and you've heard it all, blah, 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 blah. You've heard all kinds of people tell you about Jesus. I'm here to tell you, give him a chance to speak for himself. You might be surprised at what he has to say. And I instantly telescoped my search because I looked in the mirror and I was thinking, why am I destroying myself? And is there anything in life that lasts? I was, I was in a heavy metal rock band. I was a bass guitar. I used to have this beautiful mane of blonde hair. I really did. It was awesome and short-lived. But anyway, um, no, I, was, I was playing. And, and, and by the way, I'm on a worship team with aging rockers and ex-bluesmen. And look out, world. Okay. It's, it's, it's pretty... Is, is the mic being weird? The mic is being... How's that? Much better. Okay, words you're trying to compensate back there for the weird mic thing. Okay, I get it. All right. Note to file. So here I am. I'm at the bottom of my life. And by the way, there's something called control that we Americans worship. I don't care what your religious title or label is, but down deep, most Americans worship personal control. Personal control religion is their religion. It sure was mine. And I had to utterly lose control and hit bottom. And I tried to be religious. I tried to be religious for three months. And the harder I tried to go by the rules in the Sermon on the Mount, the worse I behaved, the more I partied, it, the more guilty and miserable and terrible I felt. It was like I was in Romans 7. The thing that I know to do, I do the opposite. I do the very, and I was, I was there. And finally, what Jesus was doing is he was breaking me he didn't want me to use religion as a way of maintaining control, but he wanted me to lose and hand control over to him. And if you've grown up in church or you've been in a pew for your whole life and you have added Jesus Christ to your control instead of him taking over and replacing your control with his loving, all-authoritative goodness and being in charge, and that's something the Bible calls faith. I trust him with me. I hand over me to him, and he takes control. And then I trust him to do what only he can possibly do that I can't do for myself, which is save me, change me, fix me. That's called the gospel. And I want you to know that when I'm up here, I'm not up here as this guy who's had a perfect life and, and, you know, Hollywood success story. I'm up here as a broken guy who's had to walk a long, hard way. 
out of some very painful, difficult things. But I've had a Savior, and He's taught me, and He's shown me some things. And I'm here today to return the favor and to share some of them with you. You don't have to be a put-together, high extrovert, super successful person. You can be you, and Jesus wants to use you. So let's quickly go in, and I am good at talking. In fact, I'm kind of a professional talker, so, you know, here we go. So let's offload some baggage. And why do I say that? Because, folks, what God actually says in His Bible and what, he, what we think He says can be very different. We think he's saying this, but he means that. And so the truth is, is it's always good to come back to what he actually says and change our heart thinking. Now, I have been in enough Baptist churches to know that most of you have heard many, 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 many messages, and the tendency we have as people is to hear everything from up here as confirming what we already think and believe instead of letting God perhaps suggest there might be more to it. There might be something fresh and new, something liberating and encouraging we've never heard before. And, and, and the, the challenge this morning is to listen and receive and accept some of this truth he wants to bring. How, how we heart think determines how we live, and how we live changes how pre-Christians experience us and hear us. And, and how, many, how many guys went to the men's roundup this, this past, past weekend? Amen. Did God meet us? Was, was that a good and holy time? Did he change our heart thinking a little bit? Did he, he start drilling on us and changing us and help us understand we're righteous in Jesus Christ and to live and operate out of that in more liberty and joy and advance? Amen? Oh, if you didn't go to roundup, you missed it. And yeah, it wasn't a deep Bible message, but you know what? It was an applied Jesusology message, okay? It, it, got, it got us past math to engineering. We, we, got some, we got some stuff going on. So how we hard think changes how the people around us experience us and hear us so that God can give what we say in that freshness of walking with Christ and intimacy the power to change their eternity. My friends, it's like in the Rocky movies. Ever, ever, anyone ever seen Rocky? Rock, one, two, three, four, twenty. I don't know how many numbers there are, but it's like Rock. You know, so what always happens in Rocky? He's in the ring. He's getting pummeled. He's getting beat up, and and he ends up where? On the mat. Okay. And you think it's over. It's done. And a lot of people think the Church of Jesus Christ, the Evangelical Church in the United States, is like Rocky on the mat. We're down and we're not coming up. Right. That's what they think. But then the music starts playing. And he starts getting up. And then wham! That's kind of a picture. It's odd. It's quirky. I know, but I just had it. And, and that's kind of the picture of what I'm hoping to inspire and encourage you in the Lord, that we're not permanently down. We have the power of the gospel and the presence of the risen Lord, and we have the answer to the emptiness and the brokenness of our times. That hasn't changed. Just people are becoming a little more extreme and expert in their wickedness and sin and stupidity. 
I was going to say something about the presidential election, and then I decided not to. Anyway, okay. All right. So, so what, what evangelism isn't? What is it not? What isn't it? And this is, this is, now, I have been an evangelism pastor. I have been a uh, evangelism explosion coordinator. I've been involved in Billy Graham Crusades. I am a affiliate next generation evangelist with the Louis Palau organization. This is not my first rodeo, okay? I have mobilized and, and involved churches in outreach campaigns and surveys since before I even went to seminary. Uh, since college days, I have been mobilizing. I'm a mobilizer, and I'm an equipper. That's who I am in Jesus Christ. And, and yet, there's a prevailing understanding of evangelism that simply isn't biblical. And if I hurt a sacred cow, good. <laughs> okay. By the way, for a bunch of Northern Europeans, you guys worship really well. I just, I just had to say that, okay? All right, okay. What evangelism isn't? It is not optional. Well, you know, eh, 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 mm. Mm -hmm. no. Let somebody else do it. There is something in the Bible called a command. How many, how many of you have served in the armed forces? Okay, When your CO, your commanding officer, gives an order, what do you do? You do it. What happens when you don't do it? You don't want to go there, right? Okay. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Oh, yeah, that, yeah, the Great Commission. It's a command. It's, so this is, a, this is something we all do. Is this doing this again? Yes, it is. Oh, my goodness. It was beautifully anchored the whole morning until we got here. Are you going to do the Band-Aid thing? Thank you, Jesus. All right. All right. Surgery has been performed. Thank you, brother. Okay. It's not optional. I'm not going to waste a lot of time on that because it could be easy to up the guilt. I'm not here to up the guilt. But I just want to point out our loving Savior has said, do this. Okay? Number two, it's not a scheduled activity limited to a particular time, day, and place. Every Tuesday night when I was at Lentz Baptist Church in Portland during my salad days of seminary, we, we went out on Tuesday nights and we visited the visitors these poor people had no warning. We just show up, and then we do our evangelism explosion spiel. We didn't even ask them, Are, do you have time? Are you interested? Are, you know. But our church limited evangelism to that program, that night, that targeted group. I can't find in the Bible where that's commanded to be that way. We limit it. We narrow it. But I'm not finding that in the Bible. 
In fact, if anything, it's the overflow of who we are everywhere we go in Jesus Christ. Every group and person we're around, we have the, the potential at any moment to break out into a gospel conversation and be a gospel messenger, whoever we're with. It's not contained, limited, or boxed in. It's out there, and it's open, and it's going. It's not a reserved activity. You know, this is so important. We only can have the professionals do this. Where's that in the Bible? Oh, I'm, gonna, I, I'm, I'm really tempted to pull out my Ephesians 4 thing. God gave some as apostles and prophets, pastors and teachers, evangelists, for the equipping of the professionals for the work of the ministry while everyone else watches. Eh, wrong answer. Collect your consolation prize in the back of the curtain. No. We're coaches. You're the stars. You're the team. You're the players. You're the ones equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. You're the one, the ones. That's what the Bible teaches. Pastor Bob and I, we're not the new priests and you're just the passive spectators. We're servants and stewards and encouragers and equippers and trainers so that you could rise and step up in and make new plays and do new things for the Lord and see him move that ball down the field. And, and I'm just going to say it. You're going to skip our training this afternoon for a football game? Seriously? All right. Maybe you have TiVo, maybe? You can record it or something? Okay, all right. Just, just had to get that little dig in. Okay, all right. It's not a frenzied activity. Oh, I've, I've got to pressure it. I've got to make it happen. I've got to force something to happen. I'm, I was at Dodger Stadium years ago, and we were in line to go in the stadium, and there was this Christian guy with a bullhorn, and he went, you're going to hell? And I'm thinking, oh, brother, just go home, please. Please, you're not helping the cause. But when people put pressure on themselves to make something happen, they, they get involved in some weird activities to resolve the tension that they're feeling within them. It doesn't matter if it's actually helping the person they're, quote, ministering to. It's, in fact, a lot of times it isn't. In fact, I, I had one time where... We got some mail as a church. I was, I was an evangelism team leader, and we got this, this telemarketing service offering to do telemarketing on behalf of the church, and they said it works with 1% of the, the uh, 10,000 people living all around your church. I'm thinking, yeah, but it annoys 99% of the people living all around the church. And, and so, my friends, there's no frenzy, there's no pressure, there isn't. The pressure's off. And it's not an impersonal activity. Jesus says in John 5, a stranger they simply will not follow. If we are doing any kind of activity, a program, a so-called ministry, and it doesn't involve a relationship, it doesn't involve being personal, if we're expecting to bombard impersonally people we don't even know with the gospel 
bombardment. Jesus is telling us a stranger they simply will not follow. That's why I took some time this morning to try to let you know me a little bit, because I want you to know I'm not some stranger. I'm a brother to you. I'm here to serve you and bless you. We're one body in Christ. We're family. But people that don't know Jesus aren't there yet. So, do you remember? How many people have known the Lord for 60 plus years? Get get your hand up. 60 years? 50 years? All right, God bless you. Thanks for hanging in there and being a long, a lifer, okay? Do you remember way back when, when Sunday school teachers would actually visit their students and actually have a ministry? remember, Remember how that used to be like normal? They would literally get into the homes and visit the families of mostly kids who were dropped off by parents that didn't come to church, and, the, and they built relationships. And, and I've heard testimonies over and over of like, I had a Sunday school teacher, and they led me to Jesus. And they talked to my parents, and my family got better. Haven't you heard those stories? How did, how did that happen? It's called, it was personal. It was a relationship. It wasn't a one hour and done impersonal program. We've gotten into some bad habits as frenetically busy modern American Christians. We're trying to do all this activity without relationships. And what's the fruit? What's the result? And while we're on the subject, how, what percentage of, of Vancouver, the greater Vancouver area, what percentage of kids are actually in church or Sunday school on a given Sunday morning? Parents aren't taking their kids to Sunday school anymore. Parents aren't dropping off their kids at church anymore. It's been many decades since that was true. Therefore, the people that we run into these days have no background at all with the Bible, with God, with church. They are completely ignorant and even estranged from and even hostile towards. Have you noticed? We're going to have to do a lot of pre-evangelism before they're at the same place kids who grew up in church were 50 years ago in readiness to hear the gospel. Do you you understand what I'm saying? Comprende? Comprende? See? Okay. Bueno. Good. All right. Oh, I love this. Yeah, my, my son, Matt, loves the show Mythbusters. How many people here like, you know, let's guilty pleasure. You like seeing things get blown up? tested. Oh, my, is there anything better? Watch something blow up. I mean, that's, that's just awesome. So, so Mythbusters, they'll take a certain idea and they'll actually put it to the test in the laboratory and then a field trial to see if it's true or not. And here's, here's a myth we're going to bust. Evangelism is a gift. Question, name one Bible verse that teaches that evangelism is a gift reserved only for the few, while the rest can say, I'm not gifted. You won't find, I'll give you a hint, you won't find it. I've I've read my Bible a few times. It's not there, okay? You don't don't trust me? Want to look it up? Fine, look it up, but I'm I'm, going to tell you right right front, you're not going to find it. You're not going to find it. It's not a gift. Now, there are gifted evangelists who equip and train you But it's a responsibility, not a gift. It's an opportunity, a privilege, not a gift. 
These are called excuses we make when we feel bad, feel inadequate, feel like a failure, and it's so painful because this is so important, we put distance between us and the command to resolve the tension of the pain of our feeling so inadequate and unable. Am I right? Am I right? We don't need to do that anymore. We can come right up to it and give it a hug because we have nothing to fear. So what is evangelism? And by the way, Bob, how long do I have here? Isn't that a loaded question you ask a pastor? So I'm, I'm just teasing a little. Ten more minutes? Ten? Ten? Okay. Thank you. you. You know why pastors put clocks up here, don't you? So they can ignore them. Right. Okay, good. All right. So evangelism is the ordinary overflowing lifestyle of a Jesus follower. We're graced, we're loved, we're filled, we're redeemed, we're forgiven, we're loved on, we're lavished, and He overloves us and, and lavishes us and constantly cares for us and graces us and, and, and touches us in our broken areas and weak areas, and He loves on us, and the overflow of that is we can't shut up. We have to tell people how wonderful this Jesus this Jesus is, this one who saved us. That's what it's supposed to be, we get to be. It's the one urgent, time-sensitive mission He gives us. So, so it's an ordinary thing, it's an urgent thing. What happened, 100 years from now, how many of us will be here? Well, I'm going to pray for you if you think you are, okay? Yeah, that's, that's uh, yeah, okay. We're temporary people. We're mortals. And so is everyone all around us. The clock is ticking, 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 ticking. I went to, you know, as pastors, you go to some weird, weird events. I went to some, some event taught by these funeral directors on death and dying. I, don't ask. It, I don't know why I went. I went. And, and this guy said, I have a habit. Every time I speak to a group, when I finish, my final word is, you're 45 minutes closer to your death than when I started to speak to you. I know, just, just an uplifting word, an encouraging thought for the day. I would rephrase it as, we're 45 minutes closer to eternity. And for some of us, it might be tonight. It might be next week. It might be 10 years from now. It might be 50 years from now. Or it may not. We don't know. We can't tell. Make the most of the opportunity, Paul says. If not now, when will it happen? When? If not us, if we, the evangelical, born-again, authentically saved people who know the Lord and love the Lord, if we are silent, who else is going to tell this? Is there someone waiting in the wings other than the church that's going to get the job done? If not now, then when? If not us, then who? If not Christ. If we don't give them Christ. Actually, we're finding out what happens when people don't have Christ, aren't we? As our, as our sick, wicked, wacky culture just gets worse and worse and worse and more extreme and more disgusting and more foul and more broken and more painful and more divided and more and more and more and more. And how many people here would like to see that stopped and reversed? 
I mean, unanimous consent, right? So let's elect the right president. That's going to do it, right? Oh, 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 I did it again. Sorry, Bob. I'm just like, okay. All right. Let's elect the right president. No, no, it's not going to be the right president. It's going to be Christ who reigns supreme way above all nations and presidents and kings and philosophies and alternatives and religions and systems of government and political economic systems and whatever. We've got Jesus and we're settling for Donald, Hillary, Gary, or Jill? Are you kidding me? Seriously. You know, Bob, I'm just going for it. <laughs> All ki- and I am kidding. I have a dry sense of humor, so it is supposed to be funny. Okay. I, I am, I am trying. <laughs> this is awesome. Okay. So, so, so here it is. I would like to humbly invite you to ask a different question. Here's the wrong question. Do I want to be trained? Will I stay? Do I want to do this? Here's a different question. Jesus, do you want me to stay? Do you want me to gain some tools in my tool chest for such a time as this? If the aforenamed presidential candidates are not the answer and Jesus is the answer and the need of the hour and the most urgent issue in our culture is what will you do with Jesus Christ? If the one who answered and redeemed this horrifically wicked, I mean, I had friends who were Satanists. I persecuted a Christian at my high school. I mean, I was a bad news, non-Christian. And because of a praying... By the way, if you're a grandma, a grand, great-grandparent, grandparent, you keep those prayers coming. My grandmother never stopped praying for me. That was God's secret weapon, let me tell you. The power of praying grandma can move mountains. And it did. It had to in my case. And my parents, in their, they had a new evangelical pastor. They started to pray for me. And my life got worse at first. So be ready. Be praying. But I'm asking you, is he calling you? Is he asking you? Is he inviting you? Now, if he's not, if he's calling you to watch football, I suppose he can do that. Okay? Then do it without guilt. Do it 100%. Do it unto him. Do it for the Lord. If you have other family obligations, things you couldn't get out of, fine, come next week. Get all you can. No guilt, no pressure, no condemnation, no shame. But if none of that is there, and there's just some fear, and there's just some, it's painful. I've felt so bad. I've felt so inadequate. I just don't want to go there again. How about putting that aside and hearing his voice and letting him minister his grace to you and empower you and encourage you and bring you a little further in to the center of what he wants to do with even you and even me. Could we do that? Now, 
One thing I also always forget to mention is I do have a little literature thing in the back, a little, little table, you know. Some people like literature. So if you're a literature lover, you didn't get enough in your bulletin and there isn't enough literature in your Bible already, kind of growing, the stack isn't getting big enough, you can put some more in there from Reach the City Ministries and, and you know, add to your awesome collection. Just, just amaze your friends and family with your thick Bible and, you know, just, just be awesome. Um, but seriously, if you want to find out more about what Christ is doing, there's stuff back there. So we're going to close right here in Jesus. And I guess do we have another song or something? Or I'm going to pray for us. Yes, I will. Okay. Lord, um, you always have something a little different, every group I speak to. And again, I just feel that, that tender appeal, that gentleness, that, that compassionate love you have for your dear people here at Brush Prairie Baptist. You love them. I wish I could express it. You love them so much. You want the very, very best for them. You want to give them everything in your heart. And I pray, God, I pray, I pray they'd receive that, hear that, welcome it. I pray it would reside and flourish and deeply indwell them today. I pray that you would encourage your people and keep them encouraged in the face of so much woe and difficulty and disgusting stuff and scary stuff in the culture and all around us. I pray that you would anchor us in the love of Christ that conquers everything. In Jesus' name, amen.